0: Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you.
1: Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn
2: more at Xfinity.com slash
0: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, I am honestly surprised that it has taken us this long to talk about office romance.
3: I know. I mean, it ties in so many different aspects of things we talk about. Gender, love, sex,
2: romance, age group, workplace. Uh, well, first of all, Caroline, I got to ask you, I'm sure the listeners are wondering, oh. have you ever gotten involved with an office romance? I- I have not. No, I have not.
3: Um I do know plenty of people though who have. And when I say that, I just mean when I worked at the newspaper, pretty much everybody was married or dating or each come. other, you mean? Yes. Yes. That that's a key component of the discussion we're
2: having today. No, but I I have never um I've never dated anybody at work. I, the closest I've gotten to dipping my pen in the company ink, yeah. some, some call it, is when I was in high school, I was a counselor at a day camp, and I ended up kissing another counselor. It was after the camp was over, so we weren't, you know, it wasn't distracting us from our camp duties, Okay, um, well, I mean, geez, Kristen,
3: if you're gonna go back that far, I have to amend my statement. Oh, okay. Well, no, I worked in a, when I was, when I was a teenager, I worked in a, in a kitchen at a clubhouse at this club place. Uh, country club type place. Okay. And, and I was a, a little waitress, little teen waitress. Oh. And I was just absolutely smitten
2: with one of the chore boys. And y'all canoodled? There was a little bit of, uh, teen canoodling. Yeah, in my adult life, I've never gotten involved with an office romance, although for fans of How Stuff Works, I will say, and I'm not gonna name names, even though it, it, it's all happy news, but I do know for a fact that there are at least three marriages that I know of that have come out of this How Stuff Works office. Hmm. Do any of them still work here? I'm not gonna name names. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so for people our age, though, Caroline, for the millennial generation, this idea of office romance is pretty accepted, even though I feel like all of the advice that I heard growing up was don't do it. Steer mm-hmm. clear of workplace romance. But in fact, according to a poll conducted by workplace options, 84 percent of 18 to 29 year olds said that they would date a coworker. Yeah, that's a
3: huge chunk. That's not insignificant. And I think more interestingly, 40% said they would date a boss versus just 12% of older workers who said they were who said they would, excuse me. But there's also the aspect of like how it's all viewed. 71% of millennials see workplace romance as having positive effects such as improved performance and morale so that's not just being neutral and being like oh i like this person maybe we can date it's like actually seeing workplace romance as a positive thing versus i don't know maybe our parents generation and older who thought that that was a no-no
2: yeah i mean i'd certainly take more time with my hair in the morning (laughs) if if I had a sweetheart in the cubicle next door or something like that. Yeah, actually, speaking to the Wall Street Journal, Janet Lever, who is a professor of sociology at California State University, Los Angeles, and a longtime researcher of these office romance dynamics, said that the office is often cited as the number one place... For us to meet a potential partner, which considering, especially the workplace today, Mm -hmm. where I feel like the 40 hour work week is pretty much obsolete. Work now invades our lives in more ways than ever before. And since career is so, so central to both men's and women's lives, Mm -hmm. it's like we're there more than any other place. So why not meet somebody there?
3: Yeah. I mean, you end up having so much in common. But I just, I wonder if it's like any more uncommon for some people than just complaining about the boss or, you know, some people actually develop like really strong connections at work because yeah,
2: like you said, you are spending so much time there. Yeah. And you know who made a really special connection at their workplace at a law office a long Ooh. time ago? Barack and Michelle Obama. Really? Yeah. They first met at work and according to a career builder survey, one in five people who've had office romances, ended up marrying that special somebody. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, so it doesn't always end poorly. Right. With the office romance thing. Um and, it, and it's not so uncommon, too, that there is maybe a broader acceptance among millennials for office romance because by this point, it is so deeply permeated in our pop culture. I mean... Pam and Jim on mm-hmm. The Office. Hello. And, uh, Leslie Nope. Yeah, exactly. Leslie and Adam Scott, mm-hmm. who are, I think they might be my favorite workplace couple. <laughs> I'm smiling now. <laughs> you just, got a little gushy. Yeah, I just didn't even know that was there. Yeah, well, there's, there's other movies like,
3: uh, The Best of Everything from 1959. And let's not forget Nine to Five in 1980. Uh, well, that was, that was less of like a, a romance and more of sexual harassment.
2: Yeah, definitely the tone of office romance and pop culture has evolved from the late 18th and early 19th century with postcards. When we first have women coming into the office where it's more a warning that, oh no, women are in the office and so men are going to take notice and then there's going to be a lot of skirt chasing. And then you have things like Pulp Fiction and Playboy pictorials and cartoons depicting things like the sexy secretary. Um, And and then this notion of The Office Wife. There's actually a movie called The Office Wife that comes out in 1930. So at first, the notion of office romance was more of just office adultery, really. Mm-hmm. But these days, I feel like, you know, Pam and Jim and Leslie Nope and Adam Scott are examples of how it's become a lot more normalized. And also how because those women are pretty much on par at work with the men, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more of a wholesome, sweet aspect to it. Right. Um,
3: Now, as far as like real life office romances, a a lot of different companies and different generations also, as we've touched on, have different views on it. I worked for a small company that did not actually have a rule, hard and fast written rule about it but it was strongly discouraged although i mean it was mostly women but there were like 3 guys in the office and the ceo was like don't you go
2: preying on these female these weak female employees men yeah um and and There were some articles at Kiplinger, CNN, Money & Inc. looking into why office romances are sometimes frowned upon by people like your boss and other business owners. And there are two main reasons for this. There's first of all something called amplification of potential liability. Essentially, you have coworkers getting involved with each other, kind of bring their personal life into the workplace. And that could set you up for lawsuits, possibly down the road, especially if it's a superior dating someone in a lower rung, who could say after it, the breakup or after the relationship dissolves, maybe that person, uh, the subordinate, might say, "Well, I'm not getting good assignments anymore. This person is retaliating against me, etc." Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole office gossip aspect. This episode is brought to you by
1: China. The China brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness.
0: Yes, and right now that is more important than ever. Especially when we're all apart. So recently, I had a group and we had a, a socially distanced barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were nice. six feet apart. And everyone showed up with their own chairs and beverages. And it was really convenient to have disposable products. And we we just had a, a lovely conversation. Um, it was really fun. Yeah.
1: And I'm, with the disposable products, I know that the China brand provides durable and trusted products, which I have used before that let you enjoy every moment of the get-togethers, and traditional
0: or now not. And there are classic white products that can work for any gathering, or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and cleanup easy. China products are available wherever you buy groceries, including delivery or pickup. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Get started today at betterhelp.com slash momstuff. That's better, hel dot com slash momstuff. Talk to a therapist online and get help. Right, that can really derail a lot, of, a lot of work going on. I mean, in a lot
3: of the articles we read, they would interview people. And a lot of the women, which we'll, I mean, we'll definitely get to the gender aspect of this, but a lot of the women would say, you know, I would get the side eye going down the hall because people were talking about me because I had, you know, chosen to date a coworker,
2: Yeah, and that can certainly affect the office environment um, when you have people whispering and wondering whether or not people are dating, possibly trading favors, etc., which is why there are a number of companies that now have written policies barring... A- Particularly the superior subordinate relationships to prevent things like favoritism or accusations of favoritism as well as retribution. Um, and some just have anti-fraternization policies, which is basically the stuff of like, don't, don't date anybody. Come on. Right.
3: Well, I mean, there's something that's a little more concrete called a cupid contract or, or something like a love contract where companies have both parties sign contracts saying, that you're going into this relationship, you know, willingly. You're not being forced into any sort of uh, creepy sexual relationship with a co-worker. But also it's to protect all of you. And by all of you, I mean you the person you're dating, and the company, all of you from lawsuits and any claims of, you know, like we said, favoritism or discrimination.
2: Yeah, and there are some HR departments that if you go to them and say, hey, uh, so-and-so and and I are dating, they'll say, okay, but... They will reserve the right to transfer one or both positions to a different reporting line in case, especially, again, if it's that superior subordinate relationship, if anything starts to get a little dicey. But Mm -hmm. most small companies have zero policy on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot more common for
3: employers with a lot of younger employees to adopt a neutral stance on office romance. So you've got smaller companies or you maybe just have up and coming companies that have a lot of young employees and it hasn't been implemented yet. And I mean, that could be that they don't
2: care or it could be that, you know, they just haven't gotten to the point where it's become an issue. And the thing is, though, when it comes to office romance, the people who and this is confirmed anecdotally and from studies and research is that the people who tend to bear the brunt of things like that office gossip and those negative environmental issues it's usually the women. Right. Yeah, the typical view of an office romance uh, from people from the outside,
3: according to Peggy Drexler in April 2013, is basically that men are doing it for either love or to stroke their ego, while women are doing it to get ahead and take advantage of that situation to be promoted or, or get some better assignments. And a 2009 study from the Western Journal of Communication found that while most employees do have a negative perception of workplace romances, that anger is more widely
2: directed toward women. Yeah, and supporting that, there was a 2012 study that Drexler cited that was in the journal Sex Roles, which found that, hey, hey women are more likely than men to be the targets of office gossip. And I have a feeling that it does continually relate back to that notion that while men might be out for ego, women are out to climb that ladder using their, their best assets. <laughs> and I'm talking about sex. Right. They're feminine wild. Yes, yes. So regardless
3: of the reason that people are getting involved in the office, sex with bosses, executives in particular, really does happen. Uh, According to a Center for Work-Life Policy study, 34% of female executives said they knew a woman who'd had an affair with her boss, and 15% copped to being that woman.
2: And even though I have a feeling that the 15% of female executives who said that they were that woman who had had an affair with a boss, I wonder how many of them would say that they were doing it purely To get ahead. I mean, it's such a pervasive notion because in that same survey, it found that specifically when it comes to assumptions about junior women having sex with senior men in organizations, it found that 60 percent of male executives and even more, 65 percent of female executives expected salary hikes and favoritism being exchanged for that sex. So I wonder if the fact that there are maybe more female executives saying yeah there's probably some favoritism going on, maybe they're speaking from some kind of experience. Maybe it's because sometimes women judge women even more harshly in the workplace, which is something that we've talked about. Um but nevertheless it's so uh it's a tough thing to talk about because I'm sure that there are some women who do it. I've had conversations myself with younger women who have said, "Sure, I would" use sex to climb the career ladder, to which mm. I said, I will change the subject now. <laughs> I mean, but- it, it's pretty sticky territory,
3: obviously, because, I mean, we mentioned gossip and we mentioned bad feelings and accusations of favoritism. But it really does kind of poison the environment when people are making assumptions about why you're doing it uh, from that same Center for Work-Life Policy study. 61% of men and 70% of women said that they lose respect for a leader who gets involved in an affair. And, and when that boss, when that senior person is a man and the junior person involved in the affair is, the, is a woman, that can really make it difficult for a lot of women going forward because, I mean, this is coming from a Bloomberg piece in 2010 where they were writing basically about how if we are junior in a company, regardless of our gender, we need people to help us. We need people to be mentors, to sponsor us. And that often takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. You're probably spending a lot of time together. You're learning from one another. Uh, the senior person is maybe taking you to lunch or to dinner to get to know each other better. But, I mean, a male executive might be a lot less likely to do that if... His predecessors have really mucked it up
2: by getting involved or just being accused of being involved with younger women. Exactly. I mean, I'm, I can imagine if he is a married man in a position, uh in a leadership position, you would want to protect yourself from uh, negative perceptions that might come from people just for, uh, assuming that if you put a man and a woman in a room mm-hmm. together, a heterosexual man and a woman in a room together, that something is just going to have to happen. It's like we're circling back to when Harry met Sally <laughs> at some point. Um, and I will go on the record as saying that I know Way endorse uh, using sex to climb the career ladder. I think that it ultimately hurts. Everybody. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it really never turns out well. That's different from, say, a Pam and Jim kind of thing mm-hmm. of like dating in the office. Yeah, that's fine. I, I don't really think that, as long as you're smart about it, as long as, uh, you are, are able to separate work responsibilities from the dating responsibilities, I think, for instance, it helps if you are maybe in different departments, aren't working side by side every day. Yeah, well, Two of the couples in particular
3: at the newspaper that I was uh, referring to, both sets of couples worked in the same department as each other. So, like, there were two writers who were married and two, uh, well, one was a sports writer and one was a, a copy editor, but they were on the exact same side of the room, so they Maybe- were... All in very close quarters. (laughs) But if they're married, though,
2: I feel like that's different from a dating couple. Uh, One
3: couple did get married later. They had been dating up until that point. But I think, like, I totally agree with you. And I think that as long as couples aren't like,
2: smoochy, smoochy in the office all the time, then it's more acceptable. But what do you think, though, about this issue of specifically using sex as a tool to get ahead? I mean, it's despicable. Yeah. But why do you think even though we have 20, like, what was it? Even though we have 29% of men, more men saying that they'd be cool dating a boss than women who say they'd be cool dating a boss. Why do you think that the perception is still like the the negative perception is still largely focused on women? Because the societal perception
3: of women is still that we are. Wiley and using our curves and whatever to get ahead in anything, you know, to get out of a parking ticket. You know, I mean, this is just uh, the the way that women are perceived in, in the context of office romances is just an extension of how women are perceived in pretty much any social interaction, which is manipulative and, you know, Using that push-up bra to get ahead.
2: Yeah, using sex, essentially, as our, our only commodity, sex right. and bodies, which then links back to, you know, what, about the gays and objectification and all of this, which is about to launch me into, <laughs> like, Gender Studies 101. But Julie Berbitsky actually spent a lot of time looking into these uh, dynamics in terms of sexism and sex in the office. Uh, she wrote a book, Sex in the Office, A History of Gender power and desire and looks at the history of women in the workplace in the past 150 years and how that intersects with exactly what you're talking about, Caroline, that societal idea that women basically are just constantly selling sex in one form or another. And she concludes that 150 years after women in the 1860s, first started taking office jobs at the U.S. Treasury in the United States. I was one of the the first offices to employ women. She concludes that relatively little has changed in terms of our broader attitudes towards st- sex in the office. Specifically, that we still have a persistent belief that women use and lie about sex and that we have a persistent belief that access to women in the workplace is a natural perk for successful businessmen. Hmm. I mean, things, things have changed for
3: the better, for the most part. I mean, I doubt there are very many offices where the, the male boss is still chasing around the secretary, chasing her around the desk, you know, like trying to pinch her butt and all that stuff. We do have sexual harassment laws and we do have more female executives among our ranks. And so, so that's good, right? I mean, that
2: is good, but the Equal Employment Opportunity Office that monitors things like sexual harassment complaints, they still receive between 11 and 12,000 complaints per year regarding sexual harassment. So, I mean, it's definitely still pervasive. And the whole thing about women executives, one thing that popped into my head when I saw this was that now we're starting to see, if we're talking about pop culture, now we're starting to see this, like, more playful attitude regarding fe- powerful women Suit chasing younger male employees, kind of like on uh, the New Girl. For anyone who watches the New Girl out there, there's this character Schmidt, and he works in an office, and his female superiors sometimes want to have sex with him, and and he, you know, and it's like this comedic, ha ha funny thing. But uh, you know, it's still, I don't know that that's a sign of progress. Like, all right, now we're at the top, and we can be equally. Inappropriate. <laughs> Great. We can harass each other equally. Well, and the thing is though, and, and Berbitsky talks about this in Sex in the Office, it's, it's this larger idea that men are powerless against their sexuality. Women walked into the office place You know, 150 years ago, and everyone freaked out because of this antiquated notion that men can't control themselves, which is a total and complete insult, first of all, to men. And she said, though, at the same time, our concepts of women's sexuality have been in flux. From that idea of, you know, the Victorian virginal innocent to, and all of a sudden we have, a, you know, the other end of the spectrum, the conniving tramp. So women have often been perceived as the guardians of their own sexuality, you know, not not using it for evil, but also as the guardians of men's sexuality. And what has this done for all of us? Nothing good. Ah. Yeah, I mean, it's that idea that boys will be boys. Oh, men. They're hilarious. And how infantilizing is that? Right. We're even calling them boys in that regard. I think that, I mean, it's so easy to say that there's not enough, uh, you know, protection from sexual harassment uh, uh, for women and absolutely, like, uh, those kind of laws need to be in place. The EEOC needs to be arguably more aggressive with um, pursuing complaints like that. But we also, at the same time, need to do boys and men a favor of, you know, getting rid of that now just antiquated idea that it's somehow like totally out of their control. No. Well, it's. I mean, I think it's
3: it's surprising and not like that's what I always say. I always say it's surprising and not about things like this. It's surprising and yet not that it took until 1975 for the term sexual harassment to even come around. Uh, I mean, feminists coined that term to finally put language to those unwanted sexual suggestions, jokes, or sexual coercion that had taken place in the office for ages. I mean, when you think about like if you've ever had to go to like sexual harassment training for your work or or for your school or for anything like that, it's it is kind of funny to not funny, funny weird, not funny, haha. To think about how long it took. You know, and then it wasn't that long ago that that term even came
2: about. Yeah, and it wasn't until 1986 that the Supreme Court ruled that unwelcome actions constituted a form of sex discrimination in violation of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, which essentially helped pave the way for um, sexual harassment policies and laws really being enforced in workplaces.
3: Right, but I mean... uh... Ah, I guess I, I get so frustrated that it, it took that long for people to be like, oh wait, so women in the office don't just exist for men to look at and Flirt with.
2: Well, listen to this. Uh, Burbinsky talks about in Sex in the Office how in the late 19th century, many businessmen made it a rule to never be alone with a typewriter, as in a, a woman who would come in and type on a typewriter, because she might be a quote-unquote adventurous with evil designs. Again, that sounds exciting. So even though in the workplace she has no power... I, there, there's still this idea that that that's the that sex does give us that one part. It's like the one one thing that we've got. I didn't know, by the way, that I was gonna end up speaking so passionately about this because yeah. it's like one of those onion kind of topics where right. you start to peel it away and peel it away and peel it away, and you're like, oh wait. There is so much more connected to this. Yeah. It is funny, though, about that first generation
3: of women who entered the office back in the 1860s, um, because the view of them was so complex. Because if you were a good middle class woman, well, gosh, you wouldn't go to work. You'd be at home. You'd be raising babies. You'd be, you know, sewing your clothes. You wouldn't be at an office making
2: Money, that's tacky. Well, and the whole thing of like if you were attractive enough then you'd probably be married off. But or you would get married to well, a job. I mean that's another stereotype that exists today. Either sleeping your way to the top or winning ugly. Right. Like you're
3: you're obviously like, okay, well you had to give up on the love thing because you're not attractive enough. That's why you're so good at your career.
2: And the thing is though, I, I do think that while a lot of this is painting a very dismal portrait of women in the office. It is a reality of stereotypes that we do still face. I think it's getting a lot better, and I think I do think that women in leadership um, absolutely help, um, but. There's still a lot of progress to be made.
3: Sure. And I mean, not, okay, so not to completely like brush aside everything we were just talking about, but taking it back to just plain office romance, I mean, we did talk about how our generation, the millennial generation, has such a different perspective than possibly the slightly older generations, you know. Um, What do you think? What do you think that's going to mean going forward? Do you think, I mean, is work just going to become our lives? Are we just going to start, I mean, is work just going to become the home? Are we going to be bringing our babies and our dogs and our husbands
2: to work with us? Well, no, I think that we're going to be taking our work to our home where our, our dogs and... Where our spouse is who we met at work back when we worked in an office. No, we probably would have met the spouse on, on OKCupid or some kind of <laughs> online dating. Um, no, but I, I'm glad you bring it, I, that you do circle it back to that generational difference because here's a positive theory perhaps, Mm -hmm. that maybe the more normalized, positive view that we have of office romance is a signal that maybe those old stereotypes are starting to really fall by the wayside. Right.
3: The fact that nobody automatically assumes that a woman in an office romance is exploiting the man's power and that a man in an office romance is not
2: exploiting a woman's sexuality. Yeah, that office romance doesn't necessarily signal affair, signal conniving, signal someone just using their bodies to get to the top. Right. So maybe it's a good thing that we and I say we speaking for the entire millennial generation <laughs> that Pam and Jim and Leslie Nope and everybody else uh, have made Office romance more acceptable.
3: Yeah. I mean, still be smart about it. Absolutely. You know, why, you know, make sure you, you check your motivations before you wreck your something that rhymes with motivations. Um, and, and don't go after the boss or anything for any, for any weird reasons.
2: Yeah. I think, well, there is such a distinct line in this podcast between office romance and office sex. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Big, big difference there. So for this one, uh, definitely want to hear, as always, from listeners out there, because I am sure that there is a diversity of experiences, both in terms of sweet stories. Did you meet your honey pie at the office? Let us know that. And also, have you experienced more of those negative sides of office not so romance mm-hmm. let us know mom stuff at discovery.com oh, and caroline we didn't even touch on all those trend stories about office spouses that's I, another topic for another time i think that is
3: i know i i have a friend who constantly refers to her office spouse and it, it's not cute uh he they're they're
2: friends but the man's wife actually really really hates it yeah if we need to do an episode on office spouse because that's that's non-sexual right relations at at the workplace let us know if you want that too we can certainly follow up momstuffadiscovery.com is where you can send all of your letters or you can tweet us at momstuffpodcast or send us a note over on facebook and like us While you're at it and while you are digesting all of this information we have given you about office romance, let's take a quick break.
0: This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouthwatering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy and affordable.
1: So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to hellofresh.com slash momstuff80 and use code momstuff80 to get a total of
0: $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's hellofresh.com slash momstuff80 and use code momstuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit hellofresh.com for more details. This episode is brought to you by Quip.
1: When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new smart electric toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more.
0: The Quip smart brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth, So you can track when you're brushing, get tips, you can earn points, and you can redeem those points for rewards. Already have a Quip?
1: Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today and go to getquip.com slash stuffmom right now to get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash stuffmom. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash mom. Quip, better oral health
2: made simple and rewarding. And now, back to some letters. So, Caroline, I was going through the Stuff I'm Never Told You inbox, catching up on some old letters, because you know what? Sometimes the inbox gets a little backed up, and I apologize for that. Uh, But I wanted to uh, share a couple of older emails from our episode about hair color, which I thought were a lot of fun. So, Margaret, first of all, writes in saying, Hi, Kristen and Caroline. I just wanted to chime in on your recent podcast on hair color and whether or not blondes have more fun. I grew up blonde in the United States, and when I was younger, people would frequently comment on my light blonde hair. However, I am now living in Sweden, and the perspective on blonde hair here is very different. As you might imagine, blonde hair is very common here. Unlike in the States, where people attempt to become bottle blondes, in Sweden, I am much more likely to see people trying to get rid of their natural blonde hair to become brunettes or redheads. For me, it's very interesting to see what is considered an exciting hair color here, as it is so different from what I was used to in the United States. It's strange and funny that the light blonde hair that people commented on frequently in my childhood is now more often than not seen as common or boring so thanks margaret i have one here from
3: christy she's representing the redheads she says i'm a proud redhead i've been told many different myths about my hair ranging from i have no soul to my hair makes me feisty to i'm only a redhead to be noticed and i'm more likely to have a threesome yeah the last one is baffling For me, the issue is less one of discrimination. People are enamored with my hair. Strangers feel the need to grope my head or make me promise to never destroy the color. They seem to believe it's on the same level as a pregnant woman's stomach. To make it worse, my father loves golden retrievers with the redder color. The fact that I match my dogs baffles strangers. Some would go as far as putting my hair on the dog's head. When I was a child, I did face discrimination. My niece is also a redhead and faces the same problem. She's constantly bullied at school because of it. As an impressionable child, she wants to be like everyone else. In many ways, she'll learn that having fiery locks is good, but in a society that emphasizes similarity, she won't learn that until she's old enough to embrace her unique attributes. Luckily, she has me as a shining example of ginger pride. So I think it's great, Christy. I also, I have a redhead niece and I hope she also embraces her ginger pride as well.
2: So thank you. And thanks to everyone who's written in to momstuffadiscovery.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast and keep up with us on Facebook as well and Tumblr at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And don't forget that you can watch us as well four times a week on YouTube. So head over to youtube.com Slash stuff. Mom never told you. And don't forget to subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Hi, I'm Amy Nelson.
3: And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast What's Her Story with Sam and Amy?
2: We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing
3: is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they
2: remain incomplete.
3: We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts
2: paper ghosts is a true crime podcast that investigates the search for the person responsible for the abductions of four missing girls in neighboring new england towns for more than 50 years each case has remained unsolved
1: every day is like being lost in limbo i pray every day that we find lisa so we
0: can go on it wasn't until this past year that things took an unexpected turn
2: a breakthrough Answers to decades old questions and witnesses finally ready to talk.
0: I know that that's the person that was there. I can describe what he's wearing. I can smell him a mile away. Jesus, Mary, and
1: Josephine. I hope that's not a grave for many. Oh, you know what?
2: I think it is. Listen to Paper Ghosts on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.